I am Christian Ramirez, and this is Everything Soccer Podcast. Talking soccer and everything else with MNUFC copywriter Steve McPherson and play-by-play announcer Callum Williams. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Everything Soccer Podcast. I'm Steve McPherson. I'm here with Cal Williams. Cal, who is your favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and why? Wow. Starting with a hard-hitting question. I go right for the jugular. I'm not, uh, I'm not pulling any punches this week. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's probably Donatello. Oh, yeah. Probably. The tech guy? Yeah, just because he, I felt like he was... When that was sort of prominent, I felt as though the techie, nerdy guys weren't given anywhere near the amount of credit they are sure. nowadays. Sure. So I'm now gonna... they're like heroes, right? Yes, but absolutely. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go with Donatello. Yeah. All right. That's pretty good. You? Um, I've always liked Leonardo. Okay. As the sort of um, put upon leader, you know, like I don't think he really wants to be a leader, but he has qualities that make him a leader, mm-hmm. um, which. I don't necessarily think of myself that way, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I am one of those people where, like, if you're in a situation and no one is taking the reins, I'll be like, okay, what are we doing? How right. are we doing this? You know, so I always appreciated that. There's also, you know, the, the comic book is a little different than you get the characterization, you know, in the movies or something like that. Like, the, I always thought that Michelangelo, you know, who's just sort of the goofy pizza-loving one uh, in the cartoon, in the comic books, he's a little bit more like he's goofy to kind of hide a certain, like, emotional trauma that mm. he feels, you know, over abandonment, which is sort of how they're all constructed as characters. Um, good answer. <laughs> I, it was it was considered. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like the bow staff also as a weapon? Sure. Not for yourself. Why not? I yeah. just mean like. As an... <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Why not, man? I, I've always been a katana guy. The dual swords, the two katanas, always okay. always felt good to me. So. You do you. <laughs> did, did you. Did you get like Ninja Turtles in, in England and everything yeah, growing up? Absolutely. Okay. I remember my mother actually buying me um, like a little set of them. Of, of the actual Ninja Turtles when I was, uh, last week actually, no, no. <laughs> no, um, oh, I don't know, I was probably five or six or whatever. Sure. And uh, yeah, uh, we, we got them in England and it was a hugely popular show. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Did you, have, um, did you have shows that were very popular as kids shows that we don't know anything about that we'd be like, what is that? Uh, Probably. You must have, Probably, right? I mean, yeah. it's England. Like, everything is weird. Um, You've got, like, candy bars. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it's delicious is what it is. I mean, did you get the imports? Did you get, like, Thundercats, Transformers, stuff like that? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. What? What? Oh, I know. So the the one show that I was just crazy about when I was – and I'm going off – obviously, I don't remember this. I'm going off what my, my parents and my grandmother and grandfather told me um, – there's a, uh, I believe it's a British show called Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, yeah. Well, it's become very popular now. Did that make it over here, did it? Yeah. Okay. Although, pa- past my childhood, I think it was like in the 90s, maybe, Thomas the Tank Engine. Well, bear in mind, I am, I am 28. Well, no, so. I know you're younger than me as well. But, like, I'm saying that, like, I think it was, I, I think it wasn't even like, it, it was late 90s. Like, I feel like when I was in college. Maybe it came out like, later. Kids here were, yeah, we're sort of getting onto that. Although, I was, went crazy was Ringo Starr in that? Was he like the, he was, he was the conductor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, that yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Thomas the Tank Engine is funny to revisit. I know I've seen websites that talk about how it's like incredibly sadistic. Like mm-hmm. if you go back and look at it now, they're like, there's some t- there's some uh, engine that behaves badly. Mm. And they're like, well, we're just going to wall him up. Like, and they show him getting like walled into right, right. like a little tunnel and he's got this expression of like horror. And you're mm-hmm. like, you just entombed this living train. Yep. <laughs> it's horrible. Like, cause he couldn't behave. Like, what is yep. that? It's a very British child rearing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think actually what, what else, but I, I remember, um, I remember watching a load of like, you know, the game shows and everything. Um, I, I remember I, I used to be a big fan of things like Dexter's lab. Okay. Um, Animaniacs. Animaniacs. Yep. Yep. I now I have uh, my wife is somewhat younger than me, and she was a huge fan of uh, Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. I it was maybe a little past the window for me, mm-hmm. so I didn't really get into it. But she's always assured me it's a very clever, smart cartoon. From what I remember, yes, I, I was just always um, firmly entertained by a good old fashioned Tom and Jerry. Sure. You know you can't go wrong, can you? Tom you and can't go wrong. Tom with and Jerry's Jerry. classic. It's so comparatively violent now. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten my daughter into like Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner, which yep, is always was, my favorite. Yep, absolutely. So uh-huh. I always, uh, back when I was in college, I used to, I had a videotape that had like maybe like four or five episodes and, mm. and I would always watch them when I was like not having a good day because no matter how bad of a day you're having, it's not as bad as Wile E. Coyote's day. Like he's always having a terrible day. So uh-huh. uh, that would make me feel better. Um, in, in college. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Anyways, uh, enough of that. Uh, let's move (laughs) on to soccer. Um, I want to talk about, uh, the last four games. We've got this four game losing streak going for Mm -hmm. Minnesota United. Uh, I want to, I want to propose a couple things and then, and and see what you think. Okay. Um, I wanted to say, first of all, I am not pitching optimism precisely. I'm not trying to make this (laughs) rose colored. There's obviously problems when you lose four games in a row. It's the, you know, there are very clear issues. Uh, I think with conceding goals early, you know, coming to life later in the game. And the defense, like, generally speaking, I think has not looked like the defense we had in the first three games of the season. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that Adrian has said recently, I, I feel, I'm, sure, I'm just trying to sort of, like, tamp down panic a little bit because I think, like, I had a friend, a Twitter friend, David Brower, who's who's a, a writer, who was saying, who's not, you know, tapped into, he doesn't follow the team closely, but he follows sort of sports in the Twin Cities. And he's like, is this is this like blow it up mode or is this, there's a plan and it's going somewhere. Um, and my response is to say, definitely not the former, like this is not blow it up territory mm-hmm. for a team at all. And I think that like one of the things that Adrian said is that as opposed to last year, the team has the talent to make the playoffs this year. Like they have players, you know, um, in a way that was it's different from last year, but right now they're just not playing well enough to get into the playoffs playing like this. Um, what do you think about that? I think the the main thing for me, Steve, it is glaringly obvious that this team lacks a true holding midfielder. Yes. The back line has been under some scrutiny, and quite rightly so, over the last couple of games, because as you said, it, it's not been their, their best period. Um, but for me, for a long time now, this team has really lacked a proper number six, a holding midfielder, someone who is going to sit in between the two centre-backs when everybody else pushes on and just protect the back line. That's the issue for me where, where a lot of fingers need to be pointed. Um, I think 
we, we may very well have an answer in Luis Fernando or, as he's known, Maximiano. I like to call him Maxi. I don't know if that's going to catch on. But. <laughs> Someone called him Mad Max as well, which I thought was oh, quite, that's not bad. Uh, that's not bad. Quite interesting. Yes. Um, certainly accurate. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how he does over the coming weeks. Um, if he gets any game time, in my opinion, it's it's if he's ready to go, if he's fit, now's the time to put him in. Um, I also think it would it would free up a little more space in midfield for somebody uh, like an Ibsen if he played alongside him. Um, may also um, free up a little space for for Darwin Quintero as well. Um, not that he needs it, but <laughs> those extra yards can can help. Um, that that's the the, the main area of concern for me right now because when you have someone who is who is uh, a stern holding midfielder in this system that Adrian likes to play um, what should happen I think we may have touched on this before and yeah I think, me if, if I think I we have. did but yes go ahead what, what should happen is when the bodies are piling forwards the two fullbacks will go forward as well mm-hmm. Adrian loves it when his two fullbacks go forwards what should happen then is the holding midfielder should drop in between the two centre-backs and you have that three-man protection. What's happening at the moment is everyone's going forwards and only one fullback is going forward. So say, right. for example, it was Carter Manley this weekend going forward on the right-hand side. What's happening now is Jerome Tisson is forced to tuck in alongside the other two centre-backs to make a, a makeshift back three. And he becomes um, an inverted centre-back for a, right. you know, the period of play. Um, now, that system is fine. That's okay. But it's not what Adrian wants to do. Right. Um, and that makes it... That w- it seems like that would make it harder to, to switch the field, right? That's, I mean, if you've got everybody going forward... You know, right now, I think we tend to get people down one side. Mm. But then it gets kind of gummed up. And there's not right. really like an outlet that goes in the other direction, mm-hmm. um, like like across the pitch. So right. you're, sort, you're sort of, once you start moving down the right side, you're like, well, we either get there or we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there, and then that becomes difficult. It, it, it's a really, um, it's a really underappreciated position. And I, and I know we spoke about that before, uh, holding midfielder. We, we have yet to start the holding midfielder appreciation society. Right. <laughs> We're working on we, our dues. We got to collect dues. <laughs> We're getting pins. We, we, we need to. Yes. Um, because it's such an important position uh, in in many formations and systems in this sport, but, but really in this system as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just been unfortunate um, with Sam Cronin getting the injury that, that he's now sustained. Yep. He obviously had a couple of issues last year as well with niggling injuries, so we've not really had a true holding midfielder um, yeah, for I more tend than to, 12 games or I, so. I, I was, I was going to bring this up later, but yeah, the thing with, with, with Sam that I forget is that Adrian mentioned this. Of, you know, these, the, we Obviously, we lost Finley, which is uh, a terrible blow this yep. week, and, and you know, much love to him and, and hope for a complete and speedy recovery from his ACL injury. But you know, we've lost Finley and Molino and Cronin, who are all, you know, starters mm-hmm. if they're healthy and that we haven't had Cronin at all this year. Um, I sort of forget that sometimes, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. And you know what, Steve, I've never seen such an influx of bad luck <laughs> with one team in such a short period of time. Yeah. Um, you, you can even go back to last year as well when the team had so many injuries, so many suspensions, 
I remember one day, one game, I can't remember who the opponent was, but I do remember on the bench it was something like John Alvboge, uh Justin Davis, Ishmael Jolm, Bashkim Kadri. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's yeah. all we had. <laughs> right. And I remember thinking to myself, my word, Adrian must be must be wanting to tear his hair out right now because yeah. he, he doesn't really have what he needs. Yeah. Um, so I, I do feel sorry for, for the coaching staff that... You know they've um, they've not been short of obstacles to jump over during their tenure at Minnesota United, and you can only hope things get better for them. Yeah, the the injury thing also. I wanted to touch on this with regard to the back line. We were talking about you know the questions about that, but like if you, I think it's easy to look at four losses and think like this team is losing all those games in the same way, but that's not really true. They're no. sort of they're all very different games. Um, the game against Red Bulls is probably the worst of the lot, I would say, um, but. They were starting a back line of, of Mark Birch, uh, Brent Coleman, Wyatt Amsberg, and Carter Manley, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's none of those guys had, had been in the game <laughs> the week before, I believe, right? It's clearly second string. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and a lot and of those guys. Are, yeah. And, and again, it's one of those things where, like, I think I think Brent is a terrific player, and I yep. think he could certainly start. But it's mm-hmm. like, they you know, and they've played together in practice and stuff like that. But. That you know, that's that's a lineup for the for the Red Bulls game where we were missing a lot. We were missing Schuler also. Warner was in front of him at, as the, at the at the defensive mid uh, against Atlanta. The back line changes again. We have Birch, Calvo, Boxall, and Mears, which is sort of the I think what the, the coaching staff would like to see. Generally speaking, it's certainly more the close team bodies, yeah, yeah. right? Okay, um, and then it changes again against Portland. Birch, Calvo, Boxall, um, Tieson because mm-hmm. Mears got injured. And then it changes again against Seattle with TAs on switching sides, Calvo, Boxall, Manley. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I think that there's a measure of consistency that needs to develop, you mm-hmm. know, like with the back line. And it's, I mean, obviously some of those guys are staying the same. Calvo and Boxall are certainly holding that, that middle down. But it's just like, I think, I feel like watching the game, you know, the back line, again, it relies so much on certain guys going forward, guys knowing when yep. to drop, guys knowing who their assignment is, communication on the pitch. Every little bit where that doesn't happen, it weakens that that sort of string. You want that back line along. So yep. that's a lot of that's a lot of change for a team to cope with. The, you're right. An element of consistency would, would certainly help, and it would help any team in the world. But as I alluded to earlier, uh, just just <laughs> as I alluded to earlier, just any sort of protection ahead of them right yeah would, it's would not, seriously help yes it's not just the back four um and that's and there's certainly something about the the Schuler ibsen pairing they have they have good qualities mm-hmm. um but something about the connection is not doesn't seem to be quite hitting to me ibsen ranges a lot um Schuler is very good with uh, interceptions. He's actually, if you look at stats in MLS, he's doing very well in terms of interceptions and things like that. But just in terms of as a defensive presence, I feel like he doesn't have that that defensive, that sort of mindset of of getting back there and defending that way. I think the thing with Schuler is, and look, I agree that look, sometimes in my opinion, stats can lie. Sure. But I, I think with with that, it, it is very telling that the stats that you just mentioned there. Um, that when when he's at the top of his game, he he, he reads the game well, mm-hmm. and um, he, he's very good at, at intercepting and, and making challenges when needed. The thing about Rasmus Schuler, in my opinion at least, is that I don't think he's a he's a holding midfielder. Um, I yes, he can play there, but I think he actually wants to to go forward a little bit as well. He's more of a number eight, more of a box to box midfielder. Yeah. Um, especially when he's when he's fully fit and he's high on energy as well. Um, 
again, goes back to my point of the, the team, the back line in particular, just need more protection. And mm -hmm. um, I'm going to be intrigued moving forward to see um, what's going to happen, Steve, because let's also uh, remember, I, I think by the time we do the next one of these podcasts, the MLS trade window will be shut. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of activity within the league, mm -hmm. which usually has somewhat of a snowball effect. Right. Now, whether that involves Minnesota United or not, I don't know. But I would be very, very surprised, especially with the Ethan Finley injury now mm -hmm. uh, coming to pass, that they don't... I'd be very surprised if they don't at least try yeah. to bring in another body. I don't know anything, <clears throat> but it, it, sure. I'm purely speculating... Mm -hmm but it, it wouldn't surprise me yeah. at all. Well, Adrian <clears throat> almost always says they're looking at bringing in one or two more guys before the, the window closes. I think he right. said that every week, basically. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think that if they don't, it won't be because nothing was looked at. Um, and I think you're right that when there's, when there's movement, uh, and the opportunity for movement, suddenly uh, teams get involved in it. You know, mm. like when somebody decides, I mean, and this is, you know, you know, teams are talking to each other all the time. When yep. an injury like Finley's happens, teams are immediately calling, you know, not that they're like, this is what we want, but they're like, listen, we know you're in a situation where you might want to make a move. What are you looking for? You know, that that's a conversation. Those are the kind of conversations that are happening all the time with, with Manny and Amos and, yep. and the guys who are, who are doing that kind of work. So, you know, there's, that's going to be happening. Um, whether anything comes of it, you know, hard to say. A couple more notes about the sort of the, the last the last four games that I wanted to bring up. Um, I think both the Portland and Seattle games were were very close to draws. Um, you know, I think I think the team looked dangerous against Portland. Mm -hmm. um, I think against Seattle, I mean, they gave up a cheap goal very very late, yep. where it looked like it could have been a draw. You know, and those are both very good teams. They were not playing very well going into the games. We had to go away to both of those uh, stadiums, which are both very tough stadiums to play against. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of comparison coming up against last year right now because we have around a pace to concede more goals uh, than last year, which is obviously not great. Mm. Um, but last year we had also lost to the Rapids and FC Dallas, neither of whom made the playoffs, whereas sure. we've just faced four very, very good teams that were all playoff teams last year, and arguably Atlanta is better. The Atlanta game was also so strange, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, a mistake leads to an own goal. We're looking dangerous. They go a man down, and then they just decide we're just not letting anything in. You know, like they were. The, Atlanta didn't threaten the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. They just sat back there, <laughs> and we didn't have yeah. we didn't have Quintero yet. No, um, to like to sort of yeah. break that line, you know, mm -hmm. or do something with his movement. So, and again, it's like I don't want this. I know this sounds like a bunch of excuses, right? But I, again, I'm not trying to say no. We're fine. Like there's things that need to happen. I think the other thing, which I think is the reason for. Um, not optimism exactly, but in contra in contrast to last year, where we had to make a bunch of moves to get uh, to change the the sort of the course of the team, where we got Birch and Cronin last mm -hmm. year. Um, some of those pieces, like as you alluded to, Maximiano, Alexi Gomez, are on the team yep. who could be important contributors. Yes, they just are not on the field yet. So. Mm -hmm. It, it's a little hard to know exactly where this team is at because you know that those are two guys who should be, by all rights, very important pieces on the, in the team moving forward, and they're just not playing yet. Uh, so they need to get integrated into the team. Uh, yeah, and, and I look, I mean, from what I've seen in training, that they will be. You know, yeah. they will be integrated fairly soon. And yeah, how was the you you were at training today? I was at training yesterday, but um, I was there for Alexi's first day. But did you get uh, impressions of him? Um, uh, very left-footed, which is fine. Um, <laughs> sure. Um, 
the thing I, I noticed about Alexi Gomez is he can ping a ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, his passing range was very good. Um, he was able to pick out a certain part of the net as well, of the, of the goal when shooting uh, what seemed almost effortlessly. Um, just, just uh, you know, I, I don't want to say a, a, a typical South American player because I think that's, you know, that, that labels him um, the wrong way. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, of what I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the positive thing about Alexi Gomez is that he can play a number of positions. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be an intriguing process. That's going to be really interesting to see over the coming weeks what area of the field he makes his own, if he does. Right. Um, so, you well, know, and what the team needs, obviously. Right, you know, right. With, with injuries and exactly. shifting guys around, you know, they might have envisioned him as a left back. They might yep. find that they need him as a left winger Yep. Um, if they're shifting people around. A- so. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know, he was working with the back line and a couple of other things, and he was also working in midfield and um, various other positions uh, in the training session I saw. So, look, I mean, who knows? Who knows right now? Um, but the the... The good thing is, is that he's a versatile player um, who, who can who can offer quite a lot. Yeah, I was talking with um, Jamie Watson, our own Jamie Watson, who? Uh, <laughs> short guy, <laughs> um, and you know we were sort of uh, I think it was Kendra and Jamie and a few of us who were talking at training about you know the sort of challenge of getting Maximiano into the into the eleven, not necessarily necessarily into the eighteen, but in terms of actually getting him out there on the pitch and a guy like Alexi and. You know, they're coming from a, a different situation. They may have not been playing that much. They need to play their way into fitness to a certain extent. Um, but Jamie also brought up a, a thing that was sort of interesting to me, which is that one of the problems is if, is if you feel like a guy is not fully guaranteed to go the 90 and you put, like, Gomez and Maximiano out there, you're basically conceding that you're going to have to sub them off right. at some point. And then specifically for, like, for like Maximiano, <clears throat> it seems like less – typical to sub in your holding midfielder late in the game. Like if you want to get Maximiano some minutes, mm-hmm. it's like, but you need a burst of energy. It doesn't come from your number six. Like you're going to, you're going to be putting in like a, a fresh winger, or if you've got the lead, you want to hold on to it. You're going to add a center back or something like that. Well, it depends it, on the situation. I mean, I'm, the game, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But you know, it's one of those things where like, if at, the, if at that moment, like you need energy to try to go forward and get a goal, which is often what we've needed, right. not necessarily like throwing the new guy who's a number six, sure. you know, like to, to get that out. Of it. So I thought that was that was an interesting. Yep. I mean, that's Jamie's perspective, so it's probably wrong. But <laughs> but, but what you could do <laughs> it, when you're in need of energy and a goal, what you could do is you could throw Alexi Gomez in there because mm. he's he's got energy in abundance. Yeah. So um, we're really interested to see what happens over the coming weeks, Steve. Yeah. Um, well, maybe at home also is the other thing. Now we've got four mm. or five matches at yep. home, Big and period. then. I, yeah, huge, that, big important period of the season. For yeah, the well, and as as Adrian alluded to, that like by the end of this stretch, we'll sort of evened out. We will sort of evened out because we've played five of seven on the road right mm-hmm. now. So, um, you know, by the end of this stretch, I think as Adrian said, we'll get a better sense of where the team's at, and yep. then, and I think that like integrating a new guy is probably easier at home, like to bring him on in front of the home crowd as opposed to he has to travel. I mean, travel already takes its toll, um, mm. I think, to a certain extent. And we've seen how hard it is to win on the road in, in MLS, just generally speaking. So. It is difficult on, uh, to win on the road in this league, and I don't think enough people realize that. It, it's The traveling takes its toll, and you've got to figure out where we're good, where the team's going to train. And 
you know, a lot of these players as well, when they've got some off time, they're just sitting in the hotel rooms as well. There's not there's not a lot going on, you know. But what yeah. I will say is I think our group of players, I think the Minnesota United uh, first team contingency all get along very well and they enjoy each other's company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult on the road, though. There's no doubt about it. Um, I don't know how you felt in, in Portland, but certainly as a broadcaster, I know I many years of covering this league now I, there's times when I've felt exhausted yeah. and I'm on the way to the stadium to do the broadcast or whatever and I've not done anything remotely physical compared to, to right, the players right. so I mean goodness knows how, how they feel you know so yeah I, I thought I was thinking about it sort of in, in relation to the way that you know like let's say you're driving like just in everyday driving everybody is a good driver or a bad driver but mm-hmm. you know you're out there with a whole bunch of other people they're all you all sort of behave normally the the instant you run you bring in like snow or rain everybody reacts differently to that circumstance you know and then some people are going to slow down other people are going to see people slowing down they're going to get upset and they're going to drive faster right. it just exacerbates all the little differences between people and i think that that traveling for a group can kind of be like that if you're all at home you sort of settle into a rhythm you see the guys every day at training it's the same spot you've got your your rhythms and the way your day goes but it's sort of stable more or less on the road. Everybody reacts to traveling a little bit differently. Some mm-hmm. people are going to want to go off by themselves. Some people are want to going to want to go out. Some guys are going to want to make sure they don't drop their regimen. Some guys are going to take it as an opportunity to like relax a little bit. Yep. And none of those are, are the wrong reaction. I mean, I mean, maybe you don't want to stay out super late, but, <laughs> but like basically, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, but it, it just shifts the picture a little bit. And I think that can make it harder to get on the same page, mm. you know, come, match day um that's just my i don't know no no I mean, I, look I, I don't disagree <laughs> i don't disagree everyone has their own way of of coping with traveling yeah. um there's no right or wrong way to do it um it's just you know the point that we're making here is that it is difficult on the roads in major league soccer there are other countries that have similar issues that the chinese super league china is a humongous country right, as well right uh the russian top flight as well oh, i can't it's even imagine huge russia's so big um you know even the, the a-league in australia you know i mean the, the, there are <laughs> certain countries that you just have to deal with this like this this is <laughs> you're never going to make the country smaller you know all right you could you right. know, make leagues uh you could centralize a league you could put teams in the the east and west and have them only play those sort of teams regionally or something like that i don't know but yeah that, that's not yeah. the way to go in my opinion you know the especially with the way the league is going you know you you want to see an american audience and particularly an international audience as well a worldwide audience wants to see um you know new york city fc against uh, la galaxy or, or they want to see atlanta united against seattle sounders or something yeah. you know what i mean so um that's it's, it. That wouldn't be the right way to go, in my opinion, from a from a league point of view. Yeah, but I mean, if you compare it to like <clears throat> you know the EPL or something, I mean, our nearest teams are six hours away. Yeah, right. Which is like, if you're in England from London, like you're in you're in the the water, right? <laughs> Most <laughs> well, in I mean, many of those directions. It, like. I've I've done games in the north and the south of England, and uh, yeah, it's it's about a six or seven hour drive, right, from top to bottom. And those are your very remote. I mean. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't mean you, remote. I mean like, I mean that like there are many teams in between you and the, the and oh, absolutely. between Newcastle and right, like, right, yeah. And, I mean, if you do a game at Newcastle United and then yeah. your next game the following day is in London or something like that's a fairly hefty drive, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, it's not driving to Chicago or Kansas City or something. Our nearest uh, yeah. teams, you know. So 
Um, again, this is just one of those things that we play and, and we we broadcast in a big country. It, yeah. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, I've, I've sort of been following along with the CCL and, and, and you know, Toronto. Uh, and I, I've sort of been, the thing that's been interesting to me is to see, you know, Toronto FC reigning champions um, basically saying, basically taking a pass on MLS, uh, you know, for the first several weeks here as, as they're playing in this, uh, in this, uh, uh, against, you know, other, other teams from other countries and stuff yep. like that. Uh, what do you, first of all, any impressions on, on, on Toronto in the CCL? Secondly, w- what does it do for the, what's the effect on the league when you've got one of the top powers in the league, essentially sort of having to play their second line for most of the league games? Um, I love what Toronto FC have done in the CONCACAF Champions League this season. Um, what it does for the league is it puts eyeballs on the league. Yeah, well, that's certainly true. Because I'm, I'm sure people are aware that when you win the CONCACAF Champions League, you go into a tournament called the Club World Cup. That means it's it's basically, you know, obviously we've got the CONCACAF Champions League because we're in the CONCACAF region. We have the Copa Libertadores down in, in Central and South America. That's mm-hmm. their version. We have the UEFA Champions League over in, in Europe. And there's the Asian Champions League and, and such and such and such. What this does is it puts all the winners, and I think for, for one or two tournaments that the runners-up in, um, in a tournament called the Club World Cup. And what that presents, Steve, is an opportunity for a Major League Soccer team to play against the likes of Real Madrid in a competitive game. Um, and what that does is it puts eyeballs on the league. Yeah. So the final, we're recording this on, on the Wednesday, so the final is, is tonight, uh, the second leg. Um, and, I, you know, I'll be glued to it. You know, And I know there's other, other sports going on um, tonight in the Twin Cities and... Uh, and elsewhere in the country, but that's where my eyeballs will be focused firmly because it, it's such a big thing for the league. We, Major League Soccer has, has not had a team in the final since 2015 when Montreal lost out to Club America and, and Darwin Quintero. Um, prior to that, it was Real Salt Lake in 2011. Um, this doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. What's also happening in this competition is the quality is getting better every year as well. But what's also happening, as we're fully aware of, the quality of Major League Soccer is getting better every year. Right. I saw a quote from um, one of the, the managers, I can't remember who, in, in the CONCACAF Champions League, um, suggesting that the difference is noticeable from Major League Soccer from, from when Real Salt Lake went to the final in 2011 and lost to the Toronto FC team of, of 2018 now. Um, you know, it, it's amazing to me how quickly this league is growing. That's just a seven, eight-year spell. And already the difference in the quality of this league, Steve, is, is it's the fastest-growing sports league in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my opinion, there's, there's no stopping that growth at the moment. The only thing that will stop the growth is ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... You mean, you mean yourself personally? Right. Like you're going right, yes, to. Yeah. Yes. You made it sound like you sort of had a nefarious plot, like you're a supervillain <laughs> or something. Like, I, I mean, am going to stop the you, growth. You, you know what I mean, just yes. in terms of, you know, um, mistakes and whatnot. Um, but right now, um, this is the best opportunity that MLS has had for a, a long time to win this tournament. And I know Toronto FC are down. I know there's a lot of work to do. 
But if any team can do it, it's Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. And I'm more than convinced that all of Major League Soccer is behind them and, and backing them and you know, willing them to go and win this thing. It would be fantastic for the league. Yeah. So uh, for those listening, well, I guess well, this will be out today, right? So so what are the um, – give us the current state. What's the, what's the aggregate right now? 3-1. 3-1. To my knowledge. He's, one, he's pulling out the phone. He's checking yep. it. I think it was 3-1. <laughs> three, one. That's one. what I was thinking. So um, so not an impossible task. No, 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 no. But Toronto have to go down um, to Guadalajara and, and score twice um, to, to even have a, a remote chance. Um, I'm intrigued to see how Chivas Guadalajara approach the game because they know essentially if they score, it, it, it's very difficult for Toronto right. to, to get anything. Um, now, okay, as someone who is uh, not, getting used to, to two legs to competitions, uh, I'm not familiar with this, generally speaking. There is some difference in the weighting of home and away goals. Is mm-hmm. this correct? Absolutely, can you yeah. ex- Can you explain this to well, a, a away, novice? The away goal is essentially worth two goals. Okay. You know, so if you score an away goal, um, the next game that you would play, so say you're you're the away team, you score an away goal. Say, say you win 1-0, right? Okay. The next time uh, you would play at home, basically what that means is if if, if the, the home team were to score and it finished 1-1, you would win on away goals. Okay. Because an away goal is, as I said, essentially worth two goals. So, right. so this is why I'm saying it's, it's a tremendous task ahead yeah. of Toronto FC because... Right. Uh, because uh, Chivas US, uh, wow! Because Chivas <laughs> Guadalajara, <laughs> they scored three away. Have, have scored three goals away, so right. it's three one. So um, it's going to be interesting, yeah. and I'm, I'm I'm really intrigued. Toronto need to to pull a, a rabbit out of the hat. They really do. Yeah. Uh, but as I said, look, if if anybody can do it, Toronto FC can. Um, you know, they have the, the little Italian magician, Sebastian Giovinco, <laughs> who yeah. was just a delight to watch. And, you know, I know Michael Bradley has had his critics over the past 18 months um, at the national team level. Certainly, I, I can I can understand that. But for me, Michael Bradley is still one of the best holding midfielders in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there can be a debate there as to whether he actually is a holding midfielder, but that's another debate for another another day. Um, you know, they have tremendous young players. Marky Delgado had a wonderful year in 2017. Um, you know, Victor Vasquez, uh, 31 years of age, has, has come through the, the famous Barcelona Academy with the likes of Lionel Messi, you know, and... Um, has played over in Europe for many, many years and was tremendous in their 2017 title-winning campaign. So, uh, and obviously, Altidore can cause problems as well. So um, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. So, as you like to say, they uh, they have, and in my opinion, they have one of the the best upcoming goalkeepers in North America in, in Alex Bono as well. So, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a really good Toronto team. The the spine is strong. Um, the potential is there. And I've heard people saying before that they have been christened the best Major League Soccer team ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, whilst I, I agree, I also disagree. However, if they win tonight, you know, that debate opens up again. Yeah. So do you? Have, is there any concern about them getting back into league play once, uh, once the CCL uh, portion is done? Or do you feel like they just hit the ground running? And, I think and they hit the ground running, running Steve. They, they instantly put the likes of Jovinko back into the starting lineup. I, I have no problem with them doing what yeah. they've done in the league. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, obviously, it, <laughs> it it didn't help that they uh, they lost to Colorado and then they were thumped by Houston 5-1. Um, but um, 
first of all, well done to them for assembling a roster to be able to do that. Right. Um, right. I know they brought up a lot of Toronto FC two players up for their their USL affiliate, and quite rightly so. There's no rules against it, so so use it. So um, I, I don't have any issue with them doing it at all, um, and I don't think anybody around Major League Soccer would either. Um, we all know what they're doing. We all understand why they're doing it, and you know I think as it's this early in the season. You can't afford a slip up or two, mm-hmm. um, especially when you've got the CCO on the line. Sure, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on Houston. Uh, we're going to face Houston Dynamo this weekend. Um, any quick, uh, you know, thoughts on on facing up against them? Stuff to watch out for. Um, decent team. They are two, two, and two at the moment. It's very even. Yes, <laughs> it's a very even distribution. They um, they started the season red hot. They thumped Atlanta four 0 but I. In my opinion, that was more of a uh, Atlanta defensively were, were woeful that right. afternoon. Yeah. I remember that. Um, you know, it's it's been okay. It's been all right so far for them. Um, not particularly glamorous uh, by any stretch. What I uh, what I do like what I do like about Houston, Steve, is um, they have a they, they play the same formation that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they use their wide players, um, that they're, they're not as aggressive in terms of the fullbacks going forwards, but uh, their wide players are two Hondurans um, who right. are fabulous, uh, Kyoto and Elise. Um, now, Albert Elise is is tremendous to watch. He's, he's been on a tear also. I, I, was, pace. I was looking at something like he, I think he's up near the top, if not at the top of shot attempts, and then also yes. very high in percentage of shots on goal. So he's, he's doing he, real I well. I mean, look, the, let's make no bones about it. The back line of Minnesota United will be busy on Saturday yeah. evening. <laughs> and they have this little center forward, Maro Monotas up front, who, who has um, been quietly making progress over the last couple of years since arriving from Colombia. Um, I like him a lot. He um, he was understudy um, for uh, you know a good portion of last season to Kubo Torres. Obviously now no longer with right. Houston Dynamo. Um, but I, I like Monotas. I'm, I'm interested to see what he does uh, throughout the entirety of the campaign. And once he has a, a proper full season as a starting centre forward, I, I'd back him for ten goals plus, no problem. Mm-hmm. He's certainly going to get the service. Um, so yeah, they're they're an intriguing team now. Very much, um, you know, they like to play the ball on the floor and, and, and quick one-two interchanges and whatnot. They're completely different to what they were under the likes of Owen Coyle several years ago. So, sure. um, you know, look, I mean, there's, in my opinion, there's no real easy game in this league. Um, right. So Houston will, will pose a stern test, no doubt about it. Yeah, I like the orange also. It's one of my well, favorites. Yep. <laughs> so, so. You know, a good kit is important, I think. So. Absolutely it is, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely it is. And also the one thing which, while we're on the subject of kits, can we just do a tremendous thumbs up to the, the Parlay jerseys and everything oh, yeah. over the last weekend? I thought that was a tremendous incentive and, and well done to all involved. A great program. I mean, obviously, you know, trying to uh, help out in terms of keeping the oceans healthy. And yep. These jerseys made from recycled plastic from, from, from the ocean. Uh, they looked good also. They did. Uh, it was a little hard to keep track of which team was what. <laughs> I had to keep looking up at the score bug to see like who was white and who was black. But uh, I, I, you know, I got to see the kit in person. We had it in the, in the office. And I liked that the black one was sort of like a charcoal gray, actually. It wasn't mm. like a pure black. It, 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 it's nice. I like that sort of monochrome look. So uh, yeah. I'm very into it. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't purchase one. but um, I know uh, one of, uh, I think, our graphics designer, um, Jonathan, 
purchased one. Yeah. And good for him. Yes. Um, uh, I, I think they, they look fabulous. And uh, I hope we do something like that again. Yeah. I really do. And we're auctioning off jerseys, correct? We are. Uh, that runs through the 28th? Tyson is. <laughs> we, have a, we do have someone else. Tyson Hill is here helping us out. So I, if you know, say it. He doesn't <laughs> <laughs> It's always the hidden third guy in the room. So anyways, um, all right. Well, go on and go online and check out when that auction ends. Uh, if you'd like to auction on a game-worn uh, uh, parlay jersey from the match against Seattle. So uh, thanks for joining us for the – this is the ninth Everything Soccer podcast. Uh, our next match, as we said, is this Saturday, April 28th, against uh, Houston Dynamo. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes. We like five stars, not just one star. <laughs> as many stars as you've got, uh, if you could. And you can follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com on Twitter. And I am at Steve Venturis on Twitter. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. People can like you exactly as you are. <laughs> <laughs>